Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. Hi, this is Professor Chapman. Recently we've been doing some Facebook Live sessions where I've been answering questions from the listeners and participants. What you're about to hear now is some audio of those segments and I hope they'll be useful for you. Prof, a very commonly asked question is, what test do I need to do before IVF? It's important to get properly investigated before you go to IVF. IVF's the last step in the game, in the journey. So three things stop people getting pregnant. The first is a woman ovulating. The second is that the sperm of her partner is good. And the third is that the anatomy, in other words, the fallopian tubes are open to allow the sperm and the egg to get together. So they're the three things that we do to start with. And until you've had those three tests done, we really can't move forward. And really, IVF is not the next step in that situation, in any of those situations. So let's go through them one by one. So ovulation, if you have a regular cycle every 28 or 30 days, it's likely that you are ovulating, but it's still worth doing a blood test in the second half of the cycle, around about 21, 22 days after your period starts. Now, if you have a regular 33-day cycle, that probably should be more like 24, 25 days of the cycle, because you can still have a regular ovulatory cycle, even if you're 33, 34 days. It's less likely, but it's still possible. So checking that you're releasing an egg is vital. The second test I talked about is the sperm. So getting the boy to do a sperm test, timing of that is not vital other than a couple of days of abstinence beforehand to maximize the number of sperm. It needs to be produced in a place where it will be tested within an hour or two of its production. Many pathology services will have outreach branches around the big cities You know, in Sydney, it could be Miranda or it could be Gosford, but that sample will be transported an hour or two later back to the central laboratory to be tested. And that doesn't necessarily give the right answers. Time makes a difference. So generally, when I see patients to have it with infertility, I get to do it in our own labs where I know it's going to be done within the hour. And it's within the hour that's important, particularly in terms of the swimmingness of the sperm, what's called the motility. And if that motility is reduced, when I see a sample from one of the other labs and the motility is reduced, but the numbers are good, probably not because the sperm sample is bad, it's because the time taken to get the sample to the lab has been prolonged. The third thing is obviously that the sperm and the egg need to get get together. So the tests to undertake before we move forward to IVF are to make sure that your tubes are open. And there is there are three ways of doing that. The gold standard is to have a keyhole surgery, the laparoscopy, to look inside and then we squirt dye through the neck of the womb and watch it come out of the fallopian tubes. That's absolute evidence the tubes are open 
but it does require an anesthetic and it does require an operation. And so generally that's not my first choice and, and, and it's not our recommended choice unless there are other reasons to do a laparoscopy like pain with your periods where we're looking for endometriosis as well. The two other methods are done as outpatients. One is a, an x-ray where they push dye through the neck of the womb and on the screen they can actually watch the radio-opaque dye come through the tubes. That's called an HSG. And the third method is an ultrasound method uh, where they put dye through the tube and uh, see it come out of the tubes called a, a high cozy. Personally, I'm a little old-fashioned and I actually prefer the x-ray because when you come back to see me, I can actually see the photos that have been taken and I know what the situation is. With an ultrasound, it is presumptive evidence and I don't have any images to prove that what's happened is correct. With those three tests, if everything is normal, I have to say IVF is not, to me, the next step. Flushing through the tubes actually does make a difference. Pregnancy rates, whichever way we do it, increase in the next two or three months. And so I always wait two or three months before moving forward. If you're 40 years of age, then maybe we should be moving faster than if you're 30 years of age. But you know, IVF is not necessarily the first step. Catherine has a question. Hi, Prof Chapman. This is Catherine's live with us. Hi, Prof Chapman. For pregnancies conceived by IVF, I heard stillbirth rates are higher post 40 weeks gestation compared to naturally conceived. Is this true? If yes, what data slash papers are available to show this and do you induce by a certain gestation? Thank you. There is some evidence based on our national data and also international data that suggests that IVF pregnancies post their due date have a slightly higher chance of stillbirth. And I certainly do advocate inducing in the 39th week of pregnancy. I've had two cases in my life it's not a regular event but I've had two cases where patients were allowed to go overdue by other obstetricians and sadly a stillbirth occurred which after going through the whole process of infertility and IVF to lose a baby at that point is a huge disaster and I just don't want that to happen so I do suggest being induced prior to the due date. You recently were awarded a medal, and, and I just would love to hear a little bit more about that and how <laughs> how you feel about it. It's been a few weeks now. It was a big achievement in the, in the space of IVF. Could you talk to us about that a bit? In the Australian honours list on, the, on Australia Day, I received an AM for my services to me medical education, obstetrics, gynecology, and infertility. So, yeah, so it's, it's, I'm very proud that I've been acknowledged for the work that I've done over many, many years in supporting patients to achieve their pregnancies, teaching my trainees the good things about how they can help patients become pregnant. So, yeah, no, I was very proud of the fact that I was considered in that space. And, uh, yeah, it doesn't really change what I do, but it's nice to know that, you know, what I've done has been accepted as being a good thing. And, uh, yeah, I... I, I uh, carry on being the same sort of person that doesn't change me, but means that the acknowledgement has been there. Marizella says, I do IVF now. I have before endometriosis and I do operation. I'm trying to follow this. I'm sorry. Five times IVF. I have egg collection, only good eggs accepted, only left four. I have transferred embryo. The doctor put one embryo. I hope so. Now something happened. I'm 30 years old. End my 
AMH is 6.8. How that happened can be that reason because I trade to five years to stay natural pregnant, but nothing happened. My husband is fine. I decided to go to do IVF can be problem for natural pregnancy, AMH, to stay pregnant. I worked. Can I stay ever pregnant? I'm, I'm sorry. I can't. I'm, I'm trying to, I can't follow the, what's, what's being written here. Do you okay. Want to... so, so let me pick out some of those things. So, uh, sorry, how old did you say she was? She said she's 30 years old. Okay. So 30 years old is a good prognosis. Uh, an AMH of 6.8 is at the bottom end of, of normal, but it's within the normal range. So when I, you know, if I was stimulating you with medication, uh, I would expect a good number of eggs. Um, but I probably would still only expect one or two five-day embryos to be to be produced because it's not ideal. With each of those embryos, certainly with us in our clinic, we would expect a forty percent, thirty-five to forty percent chance of being pregnant at the end of the transfer. Now, the bad news about that is that if you turn it around the other way, it means that sixty percent of the time, sixty to sixty to sixty-five percent of the time, you're not going to be pregnant, and unfortunately, they're the odds. So obviously, the more embryos you have, the greater you have, the chances are that you're going to be pregnant. But for you, I wouldn't give up hope. At 30, life, there is still the a strong possibility you're going to get pregnant, despite your endometriosis. Before endometriosis, she, I think she says she did an operation five times IVF, eggs collected, only accepted four. Anyway, I think you've got the gist of that. And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au.